Hi, and welcome to the Let's Talk Melbourne podcast. I'm your host, Vikas Raheja. The Let's Talk Melbourne podcast is brought to you from the city of Melbourne, where we talk to business leaders, opinion makers, influencers, and change agents. This is a space for critical thinking, open discussions, and the big picture. This podcast is sponsored by Construct Mart and Floors Trading and Clearance Center, your one-stop shop for all the floorings and renovations. Hi, and welcome to a new episode of Let's Talk Melbourne. Uh, in the post-pandemic era, as some of us would know, uh, or if most of us don't know, it's time that we probably share this with everyone. It's been a very rough ride for startups, uh, and also because of the fact that it's a satur- saturated industry and market. How does a startup or anyone who's starting a new initiative, uh, how do they stand out? And how do they sort of make a mark for themselves? And today to help us unpack this and more, we've got an expert from the field and I'm very excited to have him on our show. Uh, and I would request my guest to introduce himself. Hello, good to meet you, Vikas, and thanks for having me here. My name's Dickie Curra. I'm the Head of Partnerships and New Markets at the Startup Network and the self-proclaimed hype man of the Australian startup <laughs> ecosystem. That's a good title, by the way. It is. It was yeah. bestowed upon me and I feel um, like I'm now leaning into it and as I've sort of started calling myself that, it's become the self-actualization. <laughs> it seems to be uh, what I'm known as. Okay. And uh, so just to for our guests to understand, what is it actually that you do? What's your day job like? So that they can get an understanding of, you know, the I'm hype st- man. I'm still working it out, to be honest. <laughs> no, so so I, um, I guess I run partnerships, so industry partnerships for Australia's largest independent startup ecosystem, yeah. startup network. Um, so we're, I guess, a peak body for founders, yeah. entrepreneurs, providing community, um, resource, education, events, yeah. um, basically, you know, really helping predominantly early stage founders, but any vertical, any stage across the whole country. Yeah. So we used to be Victorian only until about two months ago. Yeah. So that's kind of my actual job. Okay. The reality is, I guess it's, you know, being the face of the startup community, helping to connect people, yeah. um, you know, helping to um, create spaces yeah. and come together and, and learn um, and hopefully succeed in their startup journey. Awesome. And this is across all fields or do you specialize in certain fields and certain demographics? It's all fields, okay. which at first was terrifying. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, I guess the first part of my job coming into this industry was to, to understand you'd never know as much as the person you were speaking to. Yeah. But I think there's a lot of power in being a generalist yeah. and being able to actually understand the common problems that everyone's seeing across different verticals. Okay. And I get to explore and dive into different ones. Like I was yeah. just saying before we started recording, yeah. I've been to a fintech conference this week. So yeah. I feel like that's been the flavor of the month at the moment. Um, you know, Next month, we've got a big focus on graduates and young innovation. So yeah. more agnostic of theme. Yeah. Um, you know, the month before that, we had a real climate focus. So I think it's really... It's a it's a joy in my role to be able to kind of delve and specialize in different areas. Okay, what's your take on what are the investors looking at in in the current market to invest their money in, so that anyone who's sort of looking at startups can get a bit of gauge of what the industry trend is? If you can share that, just good businesses right now. Yeah. <laughs> so money was easy to come by, or easier to come by, probably yeah. twelve months ago. Okay. You know, yeah. given the tough economic climate right now. Yeah. Um, and you can have your whiskey, by the way, as you talk. So we're pretty oh, chilled out here. Thank you. That's, that's right. um, I might I have that today. too. <laughs> Cheers, indeed. Um, look, I think it's it's changing dramatically. So I think, you know, 12 to 18 months ago, there was a lot of money. And you talk to a lot of investors now. And yes, 
the, the, the rhetoric is that there's still money flowing. Okay. There is capital there, but it's yeah. not being deployed as much as it used to be. Um, and why so, do you think that is? Risk oh, aversion or just... Definitely risk aversion. Okay. Um, you know, again, it was the influx of money that came about sort of 18 months ago has kind of almost damaged the market now. Yeah. There was a lot of money going to businesses that never really had a pathway to profitability or success. Yeah. And now... Obviously, they haven't seen the returns. So venture capital is one yeah. example. Yeah. They haven't seen the returns that they thought they might get. Yeah. There's less exits. There's less mergers and acquisitions. Yeah. Therefore, there's less you know, money to deploy at the early stage level. Okay. Um, so I'd say now the, the big trend is a strong business okay. that has a good pathway to profitability. Okay. And um, how does one... I mean, just so that... Even I can get an understanding, right? Like, so when we when you say strong business, what are some of the attributes that they look for? Is it more in terms of it's well costed, the demographics are well defined, the business plan? I mean, I don't. I mean, I don't like the. I mean, we all need a business plan, but I don't like the word business plans. It's a. It's a bit in my mind a bit redundant. It's yeah. not redundant. Sorry, but it is. Yeah. You got to have one, but you got to be agile enough. To yeah, yeah. You, you need to be able to have conviction. But you're going to yes, change you your business to, plan you, ten times. Ten times, exactly. <laughs> it's an iteration, and it keeps an. It's an evolving document. So, this, for the lack of a better word, um, what are the sort of things that people? How does one prepare to make a strong business? Yeah. In, in, in simplistic terms, it doesn't have to be like just yeah. so that someone who's listening can understand what are the things to look out for. I think when I say strong business, what I mean is you know, twelve months ago, maybe you could have raised million dollars based on an idea yeah um you know you're maybe utilizing some new technology yeah now you need to be able to demonstrate traction yeah. revenue product market fit you know that you've done you've understood you've understood your customer yeah you're solving a real problem yeah um you've got a commercialization strategy yeah you know you know how you're going to monetize um you're agile enough yeah you're the perfect founder to do the job yeah there's so many different elements and yeah. I, I say all the time to people you can be as prepared as possible there's a lot of luck correct in having a good startup you know that's 100 percent right having success yeah, yeah. you need to be the timing's got to be right the timing's got to be right um, your networking's got to be right exactly there's yeah. so many things i mean everyone can have an idea but yeah. the execution it's just it, it comes so much harder that. yeah what's sort of been the most um in it's in in the post-pandemic era given that you know as you said that the trend now is that we had a lot of money access to a lot of money and now it's slowly slowly people are a little bit more cautious in investing yeah what are the sort of um, trends that you've seen in what's working in terms of any startups that have actually worked? And what are the sort of things that they have done that they have been able to be successful or on the path of success? Yeah, it's probably been, um, you know, they've been hyper-focused on what they're doing. Okay. You know, and so they've, I, I guess that's one, you know, it's identifying that problem that you need to solve, yeah. that needs solving. Yeah. Um, you know, finding a customer one to pay for that solution gotcha. and then being really focused really niche on the product and the service that you're offering yeah it's so easy to kind of get caught up in trying to solve so many things yeah i think the ones that have been successful have been very very specific and very niche yeah and very targeted so you would say being very niche and targeted is definitely one of the things to look out for definitely i mean okay. if you think like, there's so many examples but if you think um you know if if you've got a pretty broad solution yeah fintech's a great example there's yeah. lots of similar solutions in the marketplace yeah you know you're obviously competing with the same customers the same yeah. money the same businesses that you're yeah. against um so i think it's really important to really knuckle down on what it is you're doing okay and wh what is how important is networking in this session actually really really, really important, important. and yeah. i'd say and talk to us a bit about that because what i've sort of 
understood is that there are a lot of people who, uh, at least you know, in my friend groups, and I work in finance, so it's like got a kind of got an idea from people who want to do startups is that they have brilliant ideas. They probably are very good at execution as well, probably, but they don't have the right networking uh, strategy. I would say a lot of founders that I meet, and you know, it's generalizing, but I'd say a lot of founders I meet um, are introverts. Yeah, you know. Yeah, nature. that's a good point. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, incredible thinkers, yeah. visionary, um, sort of type A personalities. Not yeah. necessarily the kind of people who would be, you know, comfortable in a room networking. But yeah. it's so important. Yeah. It really is, especially when you're raising capital. Yeah. And looking for customers. Yeah. You're basically. I, I tell founders all the time when you start looking to raise money. Yeah. Treat it like you've got a sales CRM. Treat, yeah. treat it like you're literally going out for new business. Yeah. That's what it, how you have to do. And yeah. In terms of how you set your agenda, how you follow up, the amount of people you need to meet, the amount of you know, it's the same as like trying to get sales. You know, outbound Correct. sales. It's like yeah. talk to hundred people, you yeah. might close one or two. Yeah. And that's enormous ask for people who don't come naturally to that kind of personality type or that yes. archetype yeah. of networking. It's really, really hard for them. Um, but it's something you have to get comfortable with to be successful. Correct. And also, do you think it would it sort of helps? Because as you said, it, most founders are introverts, so they surround themselves with people who have those different skill sets so that they can diversify the entire pitch. Yeah, uh, somewhat. But I think if you're an early stage founder, you can't yeah. really afford to hire someone, generally speaking. Yeah, so you kind of yeah. have to be the jack of all trades. trades. And, yeah. you're, and you're the person which is the face of the business. Correct. Right, ultimately. And, you know, for better or worse, we always talk about the founder and how much how much how important they are like yeah. i was reading some stats recently and um for a lot of investors the founder is the number one thing they look for when they're investing yeah is that person the right fit is that yeah. person they, so they talk about the average um length of a marriage is seven years yeah the average length of an investment's 10 that's true with vc capital yeah so yeah you have a 10-year return you need to schedule. like the people yeah. that you're <laughs> that you're investing in right so yeah. and similarly to a marriage you look at a lot of different characteristics about that person so yeah um so it's really it's a really important piece of it, yeah. Um, and yeah, so it's I find quite a lot. It's you know I see founders at that very early stage, especially yeah. coming into the industry, and they really struggle with the networking piece. Yeah, I, I think that is an important aspect, especially in today's time, because ultimately networking is 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 key to like startups. It's definitely key to get reach, access, visibility, um, distribution, all those kind of things that do that. One of the things I wanted to sort of touch on was also the, given with, you know, reliance on digital and reliance on AI and how critical it is for any startups at this point in time to have a good digital strategy. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of focus on like a social media strategy, but I think it's more a digital strategy than perhaps a social media strategy. Would that be right? Or is it a bit of an overreach to say that? Yes, I, I think it is. Um, I think, again, it just has to be something that's, it's not just tokenistic. Yep. You know, I feel like six months ago, everyone started to realize I need to get some AI hammed into my business somehow. Because yes. otherwise, but I'm you, not gonna... you should need it as well, right? Well, like, you should be leveraging le emerging technology yeah. 100%. But it's, yeah. I see a lot of businesses that are just AI businesses. Yeah. And it's like you will leverage the tech, um, have that digital strategy, but it doesn't have to consume your business. It, you know, don't do it tokenistically. Yeah. I think is the advice I would give to most people. Yeah. Integrate it if you need to, and 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 have a strong. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. You can, I mean, you, sh you should be leveraging, and, and and obviously it's it's appealing to 
it's and it probably will create your niche yeah of what you're building yeah um and it's definitely obviously appealing to investors to see that you're actually trying to to, to leverage yeah. the different technologies but I, yeah I, I think it doesn't have to be tokenistic okay now one of the things is that um which i would also like to get your insights on is that so if for startups and founders how do they what's the checkpoint in terms of whether it's working or it's not working and, and when's the right time for them to uh, cut their losses and exit? Because I think that's important to have that clarity before beforehand as well, before you get into it. Is it three years a, a reasonable one? Um, is it five years a reasonable one? Or is it just 12 months? Or is it 12 months too soon, I would imagine? But is, is there like a checkpoint that they have to do as a reality check and say, you know what, we had a good run, it's not working, let's exit? Or... Take the risk and go harder. It's a really tough question it's to answer. I know, I know. And, and perhaps a broad-based one. So I'll, I'll just let you share whatever you think you can, uh, perhaps. Personally, I think um, I think the founders that are successful, the ones that don't give up, um, and they, uh, they're so, their belief in the mission, what they're trying to achieve, yeah. is so strong that they'll just pivot and pivot and keep it going, and keep it going. And I've, I know of someone in my network who's um, recently sold their business for $100 million. Yeah. Uh, it was their 13th business. Okay. The first 12 failed. Okay. But they were so adamant on become, okay. be, you know, having that, uh, I guess, getting to the end of their entrepreneurial journey okay. and keeping their mission alive. Yeah. Um, I would say personally that my advice would be um, don't put yourself into financial hardship. Yes. That's me. So I'd say yes. if you, when you're setting up for the first time, you call a moment when yeah. you need to change, yeah. and that could be going to part-time work. It could be, you know, putting the business on hold for a little bit. Yeah. I'd say, set yourself that goal and say, right, when I get down to three months of runway, yeah, that's when I'm going to stop. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, I think, think that's really important. I've seen founders who've literally been at the point where they can't pay rent. You know. Or yeah. They can't get. They can't afford to go to the supermarket to buy food, and it's like yeah. that for me is the point where I'd yeah. say. You're damaging your physical and mental, mental emotional state, emotional state, and everything, yeah. and then you're going to make poor decisions. You're yeah. taken advantage of by people, yeah. and that's at the point where um, I think you need to make a real tough yeah. decision. Yeah. The interesting point you also said about uh, founders who succeed are someone who believe in conviction um, and who don't give up. Is 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 how to sort of paraphrase it. What, and I'm interested because I always find this um, in my observations or, is that. What is how is the 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 balance the tricky balance between having conviction versus being a little bit delusional? Oh, there's got to be delusion there. There has to be one hundred. Yeah. I, okay. <laughs> I think I think that's um, that's another characteristic, you know, of that kind of visionary founder is a yeah. little bit of delusion, yeah. a little bit of obsession with what they're doing. Yeah. Um, again, I think that's really really important. Yeah. Um, I think it's you know it, it's. It's good to be conscious of that. Yeah. It's good to understand that that's what it is, yeah. and not get too delusional. Okay. Um, but I think it's yeah. I think there's a fine line between conviction and delusion. <laughs> I know. I know. That's what I was trying to get there. That okay. Um, now we'll just get we'll, we'll we'll just play a little bit of fun in the pot now. Um, so if I am so if you're a founder, right, and I'm yeah. coming to you. Uh, sorry, I, I'm a founder, and you're like the investor, as an example, and I come into your meeting. What are the three f- top three questions that you're going to ask me that I have to be prepared? Just as an example, like, are there any top three questions that you think investors have in their mind in the first meeting, in that pitch meeting, that will win them over? Yeah, why? Okay. I always want to know the why. You yeah. should always start with the why. Yeah. Generally, it's a personal 
you know problem or something that you've encountered or yep. something that you really wedded to and that's i guess going back to the point of it's, it's that mission yeah you know, it's that delusion around the mission it's a problem yep. you want to solve yeah um who your customer is yeah and are they willing to pay for it and i think i i see quite a lot of people who have the why who understand the problem yeah who've come up with the solution yeah but haven't actually thought about how they're going to make money yeah and ultimately it's a business correct that's the only way it's going to succeed yeah um so there are three things that i'd look at first Okay, so to recap, who, why, and will someone pay for it? Will someone pay for it? Yeah. And that's the one that I quite regularly find myself asking, Yeah. that third question. Um, and then also, you know, what's your what's your end state? I, yeah. It's almost like that um, the analogy of living your life. Right? Yeah. If, you looked at, if you looked at life like you were going to die, yeah. how would you live it differently? Yeah. And I say that to founders about their business. Okay. I think it's it's important to be present in the moment of building the business not yep. to think too far ahead yeah but if you can think about your exit and why and yeah. what's what's next and how yeah you know if you can sit there and go right i'm building a business yeah that i think is going to solve a problem for a big four bank okay so my exit strategy is to try getting a merger or an acquisition for a yeah. big four bank yeah they're going to be my customer from day one yeah and i'm going to build that yeah it's extremely powerful to kind I'm of know where you're going before you start I'm going to come back to that one, but I, before I, because that's an interesting point, and I really want to explore that the exit strategy is, and the other, but before we get into that, is that what are the three things you recommend people should should stay away from when they go into a pitch meeting with investors, either stay away from or not. Um, the, the, I'm trying to think how the best way is is an absolute no no. Um, getting too emotional about the problem. Okay. I think that's something I've seen. Yeah. Um, you know, I think there's a reality that a lot of times, you know, I've I've worked in, or I've worked with people who've done quality of life businesses, end of life businesses. There's a lot of sensitive subjects. Yep. Um, but I think it's really important to uh, to engage yep. and be passionate about something. But yep. you know, obviously temper that emotion. Okay. Um, I think that's one. Um, I think it's important to show that you're willing to change. Okay. That you're willing to be adaptable. Yeah. You're willing to be agile. Yeah. Again, if I ever meet a founder that kind of just, they don't take advice well, that's a big red flag. Yes. In terms of yeah. you know, that, that advice of um, being open to to being challenged. Correct. You yep. kind of need to be, it's, it's a hard balance and it sounds almost like paradoxical. Yeah. But you almost need to be very, very, very focused. Yeah. But also open to dialogue and change. Yeah. And agility. Yeah. Um, that's two, um, and probably thirdly would be uh, a lack of understanding around the size of the market. So quite often, I example recently, I had someone pitched to me and they had a entertainment product. Yep. I won't say what, but it was pretty niche. Okay, and they addressed that their sizable market was a billion dollars because the entertainment market in Australia is a billion dollar market. Yeah. And it's like, well, it is. It is. Your so small niche problem is not going to take that. over every yeah. single TV, radio show, cinema. Like, yeah. So it's almost, that's a, another flag for me is not understanding the mar- size of the market that's worth, that's there to capture. Okay. Okay. Now, th- those are actually, the, the, yeah, the pretty good things to look out for is especially understand your market. Yeah. yeah. I think that's, that's a key one. Now, I want to just kind of come back to the point you mentioned about the exit strategy. One of the trends, and, and this is pretty, doc- and this is well documented, most founders, once they get scale and once they get efficiencies in their business or in their startups, the the predetermined exit strategy is to sell their business. Yeah. My 
for lack of a better word, my reservation with that is that if you're entering something with all your conviction and passion with the idea of just selling it off and making some money, and it's it makes good economic and business sense, of course, we're all here to like, at the end of the day, it's all about turning around a profit. Is it worth continuing that? And is it worth building on that? Is that the right motivation to get into something? Is no. to have an exit strategy to sort of say, at the end of the day, I want a business, I'm going to make some money and get out of it. And then... It's not. And the reason I say the yeah. exit, you know, in terms of that exit strategy piece is because it helps you to plan almost. Yeah. If, and it doesn't mean you have to execute that. Yeah. But if you can kind of see where you, you're you going, want to go, yeah. I guess you can make better informed choices as to how to get there. But I would say not. I mean, having a startup generally is a, life, is a lifestyle choice. You do it because you've got a problem that you're deeply passionate about yeah. that you want to solve. Yeah. And it, that's not, you know, not, it doesn't matter about making money or having influence or having success or yeah. those things shouldn't be what motivates you. It should yeah. be that passion for that problem. Yeah. And that's what investors are looking for and that's what customers are looking for and that's why you'll be successful. Again, it's like delusion almost. Obsession, yeah, yeah, yeah. Around, Obsession the around the problem you're trying to fix. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that should be what drives you. Okay. And have you ever come across any... So w- w- how do you sort of negotiate autonomy with investors? How do you negotiate... In a very, because uh, it's a, it's a very fine, delicate, sensitive yeah. relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to tread very carefully. Definitely. Um, how do you give that level of uh, autonomy to yourself and also the ability for the investor to give you a little bit of direction in terms of how they go? Now, normally in corporations, you've got a board, the board votes. It's, 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 you know, there's a lot of things to consider. There's, you know, memorandums and so on and so forth. But in a startup, it's kind of tricky because the investor also wants the profit. They also want to dictate some terms and you may have a certain vision that may differ. How does that equation work in a manner that's fruitful for both of them and long-lasting? It's really hard. Yeah. And it probably really depends on what who was on your cap table. Okay. Um, you know, like we said, it's, it's really important to get the right people. Yeah. Um, you know, we call it smart money yep. in terms of having people who are going to add value. Yeah. Um, it probably really depends on how desperate you need cash. <laughs> okay. You know, because obviously if you've got, um, you know, if you've got three months runway left and you're, you need the money, you're going to make those choices. It probably depends on how good your startup is. Okay. So if you, you know, I met people who have literally said, I, um, you know, I literally went to Blackbird and Airtree, yep. who were two of the kind of biggest three um, venture capital firms in Australia and I just gave them my terms Yeah, because they had a great business. Okay. <laughs> That's a super rare reality. Yeah. Most of the time it's, you know, you've talked to 200 investors and you've managed to pull together, yeah. you know, three or four to invest at half a million dollars and yeah. um, unfortunately they're probably going to dictate the terms. Yeah. So it probably really, really depends yeah. on how strong your business is, who you've brought on board but I think the main thing is just to try to get people who believe in what you're doing yeah. and will add value will help with connections, will help with, if you want to scale to a new market, say, um, they've got an experience in that. Yeah. So I think it's really important to understand who you're going into business with and treating it like that. Yeah, okay. And because uh, it's, 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 yeah, as you said, like it's a bit, it's very tricky, right? Like you want to, you both want the same outcome, but your application methods may be very different. And how do you then sort of get to a common ground is, is key. Exactly, yeah. it definitely is. I think you just get, you know, get to know your investors as much as possible. Okay. In that early kind of networking, networking phase, that phase. We talked about, yeah. yeah, okay. Um, but this is probably going to be a naive question. Um, but <laughs> no such thing. <laughs> oh, you haven't heard the question yet. So it's it's what is the? I mean, Australia obviously, given the market is very 
uh, small compared yeah. to like what are the sort of I don't know if you if you're able to sort of talk about this, but what's the silicon? You know when you the Silicon Valley venture capitalists they yeah. have this very different image and a different operating style. Yeah, fundamentally different. Yeah, in definitely. principle, yes, the outcomes and achievements and all the the things are same, but they have very different operating style. It's very more ruthless. Is mm-hmm. Australia as ruthless as say a Silicon Valley one, or is it a little bit more measured and a little bit more? structured and there's a little bit of human imp- I mean I mean it's a bit naive to say there's empathy because when you don't need to have empathy because you want to it's it's all about money and profit and those kind of thing yeah in the sense that you have obligations with financial responsibility so what do you what is your take on how Australian market is with the venture capital scenario versus say an American one yeah um you know I've probably limited experience working with American venture capital firms yeah. but you know my passion really is global ecosystems and yeah. connecting to our global ecosystems. And so I was just recently in London and Paris as part of a delegation with the Australian government yeah. and did a bit of work in Singapore and Luxembourg. So started to, I guess, understand a little bit more what happens outside of Australia, yeah. having had a mostly an Australian lens for the last couple of years here. Yeah. Um, and we are, we've got a strong community. Yeah. Um, we've probably got a bit of an artificial or superficial, sorry, ecosystem. Okay. Uh, um, generally, you find that ecosystems in the startup world reflect their country's national psyches. Yeah. So we're a little bit superficial in Australia in terms of how we, you know, put our best foot forward. Yeah. Maybe we don't be as honest about our business and what the problems are. Yeah. Um, and in terms of the maturity of our ecosystem, like you say, it's 10, 15 years behind yeah. what you're seeing in London or the US. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think there's a small town mentality still yep. in Austria, in the country. Again, it reflects the national psyche national of the country psych, yeah. and kind of the fact we're kind of holding ourselves back a little bit sometimes, not thinking too globally. Yeah. Um, and that really does impact innovation here very oh, okay. detrimentally. That's interesting, um, yeah. You know, I think I see a lot of founders that just go, I want to work in the US eventually and take my yeah. business there. Yeah. I'm going to raise capital there from day one. And that really negatively impacts our innovation economy. But is it also sure. because the consumers here are quite different to the consumers there? Definitely. There yeah. again, there's still uh, a lot of old school thinking. Yeah. People who want to pulse about the ground, and that's innovation. You know, I was in London Tech Week. We had um, uh, it started with Rishi Sunak yeah. coming out, the Prime Minister, and giving a, a big call to arms about putting. I guess having the UK, this is, this is post-Brexit, so you got to understand the relevance and the context. Yeah, we'll, we'll get and, into that, but yes. <laughs> coming out and saying, look, we want to be the, the, the centre of AI in the world. Okay. Right? We want to literally drive our... Whether you believe it or not, right? Yeah, no, fair, like fair, I say, fair. It's, a, bit, it's yeah. a big play. Yeah. But I remember sitting there that morning thinking, I cannot imagine Anthony Albanese, love him or hate him, coming out and going, we are going to be the tech capital of the world. In Australia, and we've yeah. got the potential to do that with our economy. Yeah, we're we're strong in so many things. We've got high GDP. We've got some te- insanely smart people. Yeah, but we aren't trying to be that nation what we could be, and it's holding us back. And you see that bleed down into the investor market, into yeah. the founder market. There's still a, and you know, fortunately, again, I'm from the UK originally, but I've been here eight years, so I'm a citizen. So I feel like I can talk for Australia now somewhat. Now I've got the passport, but um, you know, unfortunately, there is still when it comes to thinking offshore, it's the US and that's it. Maybe the UK. Okay. We're not thinking globally about the opportunity to be a superpower. Yeah. Um, we, everything's there to be to, to to do it. It's just I know we've got a small population. But yeah. We punch so far about that weight in every other. 
Yeah, I think my my very simplistic take on this is that I think infrastructure-wise, there is a lot we lack. Definitely. And there are limited players in the market, and that leads to monopoly. And so, they, I mean, they're complex structures, but I agree with you. I think uh, you're right. I think innovation is sort of plateaued in Australia. Yeah. And, and, and there is a, an opportunity. And, and also, I think you sort of touched the nerve on this. There is the passion for innovation. It, it rises up every few years and then it gets diverted to other kind of things yeah. and priorities that the country needs which is also important but we need to find a way to sort of move forward and I, i'm not sure what the answer is to that but that's something that perhaps the industry and 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 founders and investors and and, and need to sort of think about definitely i guess so yeah look a great example would be the banks right i yeah. won't say who but i've talked to a couple of banks recently yeah. and they've said look what, what have you got that's suitable for startups what are you yeah. working on that's startup specific yeah and like, we've got an app coming in a year's time yeah right you go to the uk they've got huge innovation hubs with their banks yes you know there's this huge integration to try to get new fintech startups that are going to build something for their bank yeah um the resource that's going in there and the infrastructure is enormous yeah how do we ever compete how do we catch up if we're still holding back yeah i feel like it's almost like Yes, we're growing, but we're growing at lesser quick rate than other countries. Other are countries, so we're are always going to keep ourselves behind constantly. Yeah, yeah, okay, um, okay. And um, now, since you mentioned that you're from the UK, yes, I, have to, I can't go without asking you. What's your football team that you go for? <laughs> Everton, who are terrible. We um, we're nineteenth in the league right now, partly because another team, Luton, lost last night. Yeah, and they went below us. Okay, so that's zero wins, zero goals in the first three games. Okay, all right. It's a tragic life as never in fan. I'm not going to comment on that because you're a guest. So <laughs> I'm sure you're Liverpool support like everyone in Australia. <laughs> no, me. no, MU, but you know, <laughs> that's just me. Um, yeah, of course, Manchester United, definitely. Definitely, but we'll not get into that because that could go to different directions. And I've done the mistake in the past. I don't want to do it right now. Uh, all right, so we're almost at the end of the podcast, and I think it was an interesting conversation. I, I, I'm sure I, I want to talk to you more about this stuff, but we probably have to do another episode because I think this is something I want to unpack and help our listeners and viewers understand. Because I have a lot of friends who really, really are looking for investors, and they've got a lot of good startup ideas. But I think a little bit of finessing in terms of their strategy in terms of their thinking and approach and especially the question about will customers pay and yes the simplistic answer is yes eventually you'll find someone who will pay but it's it's a matter of scale and efficiency and agility and and how all of that can be packaged and applied um so yeah but we'll come back on another episode and do that on that one because i'm it's an interesting topic but we ask all our guests two questions before yeah. we end the episode awesome. first one's what's your anthem song uh, I, I thought about this deeply when you give me the prep. <laughs> and um, I would say Rocket Man by Elton John. Oh, okay. Like, for two reasons. Yeah. One uh, serious, one less serious. The less serious one is um, in a previous life, I used to be a karaoke host. Are you serious? I did. Okay. So it was a temporary gig. Um, I was working for an entertainment company that opened a karaoke venue. Okay. And they said, can you go and host for the first six weeks of opening? Yeah. So I dressed, it was right in Rocket Man to just come out in the cinemas. So I dressed yeah. as Elton John every night, went. Started off karaoke singing Rocket Man, oh. kick off the party. Okay. But I would also the series... can you do a demo at the moment? Absolutely not. No. <laughs> <laughs> About an hour ago in the kitchen, I was. But um, I would you say try it. <laughs> I am um, maybe the William Shatner speaking version. If you've ever heard that, which is I haven't actually. Yeah. I think I have. I don't. I can't remember. Check that out. It will okay. blow your mind. But yeah. um, so in all seriousness, I just think the lyrics. I kind of resonate with a lot of my job is 
I guess being the life and soul, hosting a lot of events, bringing yeah. the energy, bringing yeah. the hype, as I mentioned earlier, yeah. um, which I absolutely love, but it gives you the highest of highs and it can sometimes be a little bit, you know, give you the lowest of lows at the same time. Yeah. And um, and how do you keep that energy up every day? Is it easy? It comes naturally to you? Or you have to be the kind of and very gregarious, outgoing personality so that to get that going? Or is it something that... Yeah, it does come naturally. I'm, yeah. I'm an extroverted extrovert. Yeah. I, I used to be an extroverted introvert until lockdown. Okay. And that kind of got rid of that. Yeah. And now it's just I get energy from being around people. Yeah. And I love creating those spaces where people can you participate. Know, feel yeah. yeah, feel a part of something. Okay. Um, bigger than just you know sitting and watching a panel speaking. Or I feel like I really enjoy that, but it is exhausting. Yeah. I think Rocket Man kind of the words speak to me. I think you know, the song is really about kind of feeling like you are that star almost. Yeah. Um. Uh, but then having those moments where you feel pretty yeah it does have a little bit of bluster and restraint at the same time exactly yeah and yeah. that's that's a good thing and um great choice thank you uh and i won't sing it for you though <laughs> not this time <laughs> yeah you're welcome to whenever like, yeah, we, we can just do a, a karaoke episode and on the pod definitely um and what's the one thing you love about living in melbourne um the accessibility of everything. Yep. So I, I moved from London yep. to Melbourne. I kind of went to Sydney and Brisbane on the way and didn't really connect with the two cities. Yeah. Um, you know, in London, I remember sitting on the tube, opening Time Out magazine, um, reading about an awesome event that was happening, Yeah. jumping on my phone, trying to Google it, and it'd be sold out. Yeah. You know, or trying to get to a football game. Yeah. Um, and trying to get tickets and yeah. it's like the holy grail unless you've been a 20 year season ticket holder yeah when i came to melbourne it felt like the perfect size yeah like there was enough happening yeah but you could just walk down to the mcg on a sunday afternoon and get yeah. a ticket to the game you yeah. could you know you could you'd see an event that would be happening and you could go and do it i think and in terms of i guess in my world now and what i do for a living it's the same sort of thing yeah you know kind of in 18 months of doing this role i've been able to you know meet so many people yeah really feel like there's i've got a I've got a community that I'm a part of um, and something that I can influence and, you know, help people with. Um, so I think it's just the perfect size city. I, I agree 100%. I never get bored in Melbourne. Yeah. Never. Ever. It's, it's great because we, you know... We're, There's something to do all the time. We're an international city. Yeah, you yeah. wouldn't probably get this, a, four, a city with four million people yeah. in other parts of the world where yeah. there'd be so much going on. But yeah. because we are, I guess, the cultural capital of a very wealthy nation yeah. that has a lot of resource um, and culturally offers a lot you know we've got at one of the grand prix here we've got one of the four major tennis tournaments just taking sport as an example correct Melbourne yeah Cup, we've got you know these, you've got footy you've got, got cricket exactly. comedy festival food and wine festival melbourne cup you name it a melbourne international film festival which i went to recently was just it's nuts it's crazy There's so much happening so yes yeah. it's a couple of years behind what you might get in london in terms yeah. of the programming but you can get tickets <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you yeah, wouldn't yeah, be true. able to in London and and I, you know I go back there now and I, I love it but I, it feels too busy for me like I can I live in Richmond I can cycle to work in four minutes I can walk into the city and why minutes. does everyone in Richmond cycle everywhere <laughs> I, we need to do some investigation I into this everywhere it's like my cheat code to get into so many meetings people yeah. are always like how do you get around so quickly and it's like cycling it's like free <laughs> Exercise. I think it's a Richmond uh, symptom. Everyone, most people in Richmond do cycling. I mean, I don't know if I have all these cyclists decided to concentrate. You have to find parking. It's like, it's a dream. <laughs> I've had like three bikes stolen this year, so don't, don't get me sad on that. But it's, yeah. um, I think it's a very interesting one because like, I feel like in Melbourne, right, like South Yarra, uh, people just drink white wine. Yeah. Richmond, everybody's doing kind of cycling. <laughs> and, and Fitzroy and East Brunswick, everyone's dressing up really quirky and fun. 
And I live in the city, so yeah, we just drink whiskey. So it's 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 like I'm very interesting that. that. Yeah. But, you know, if I, when I was in London, I, my commute would be an hour and a half on the train. Yeah, yeah. Now right. it's a five minute cycle. Yeah, lot, it, right. that, So that's Melbourne for me. Cool. And I, I, I'm just going to improvise and ask you another question. Let's do it. All right. Uh, we don't <laughs> never ask this to anybody else. So, what's the what's your take? Do people what's the people drink more in the UK or people drink more in Australia? UK. Definitely. Yeah? yeah. Okay. Definitely. I, I know there's a culture around like Aussies are always drunk. Yeah. But, um, um, I, I think the UK is just it's a harder life. <laughs> it generally, <laughs> it generally is, right? So, I know maybe it was an age thing. Oh, I, I'm having said that I drink a lot now at work, but um, you know, in my twenties, it was in London. I felt like it was it was Thursday, and everyone was just that kind of groundswell. You spent the whole week on the yeah. tube. Yeah. Just usually yeah. the weather's terrible. Yeah. You know, it's dark at four o'clock. Yeah. And it's just like I just need to go to the pub. Yeah. yeah or yeah. I think it's yeah. here. It's yes, there's a lot of alcohol, but it's more. Um, it's more social. It's more balanced. Correct. People are healthier. Yeah. Like we have a thing called a Heathrow injection. Have you yeah. heard of this? No. When Australians come to the UK yeah. and fly into Heathrow, they put on ten kilos instantly. Oh that's really? The, that's the joke, right? Okay. Within like a couple of months of being there, you oh drive, yeah, yeah, gotcha. you drink more, yeah. you eat more. Yeah. yeah. It's called a Heathrow injection. I think I had the opposite thing when I yeah. came to Australia. Within about a year of being here, I was never been healthier. Yeah. You know. Well, um, you're cycling everywhere, so clearly that's exactly, working. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so I'd say it's I'd say the UK, but um. I guess I've got the worst of both worlds now, the best of it, now that I'm a dual citizen. I would say you get the best of both worlds, <laughs> exactly. yeah. I mean, it's, it's, a good, it's, a, it's a good spot to be in. <laughs> uh, all right, we're always at the end. We, we are at the end of the podcast. So thank you, Dickie, for coming. I really appreciate it. Um, and congratulations on everything that you've achieved. I think it's fantastic, the work that you do. And it's also important to guide uh, and, and sort of give a support system to to founders or anyone who wants to do a startup it can be extremely challenging so you know this is this is good stuff that you're doing so thank you congratulations and uh I, i'm really excited to get you back on the pod next time for the next season and uh thank you very much for your time today amazing thank you and thank you everyone for listening or if you're watching us on youtube thank you uh for tuning in and uh we are almost at the end of the season we've got another episode to go and uh yeah, and then we drop the season soon. So keep listening. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel and Spotify if you haven't already. Uh, that would be a big help. Thank you. And uh, yeah, and have a great, safe uh, weekend. Thank you. We would like to thank our sponsors, Construct Mart and Floors Trading and Clearance Center. Uh, and also let you know that this podcast has been recorded from Image Online Studio in Abbotsford. So thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening and please remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel and also follow us on Instagram at Let's Talk Melbourne.